Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will feed back from his chat with Qatar Airways CEO Akbar al Bakr during Farnborough Airshow, while I take a look at how the show went in terms of airplane orders. I'll also see what the latest is with Air Baltic following my chat with their CEO, while Joe takes a look at the renewed importance of sustainability as reflected at the show. Finally, Tom will reflect on some of the comments made by Sir Tim Clark at Farnborough in relation to the chaos at Heathrow. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to apologise that we didn't publish an episode last week, but as I'm sure you're aware, we were running around Farnborough like headless chickens, and we tried to line up some special guests for the Farnborough episode, but it just didn't pan out. But we're back now, and let's get on with the show. So I wanted to start talk by talking about my chat with uh, Akbar Al-Baker, who's, of course, the group CEO of Qatar Airways. Um, Joe was meant to have a chat with him, but I kind of bullied her into letting me do it because <laughs> I was uh, really keen to have a chat with him. And he's he was um, really nice to us and gave us a lot of hospitality. But we, you know, we started by talking about the triple seven X. He, in response to a question by somebody, he suggested that um, you know somebody was asking what's next after the Q suite, and he said, "Well, you just wait until you see the Q suite we've got planned for the triple seven X." So I said. When are we going to see that? Because obviously his neighbor in um, Dubai has been quite negative about the program in the past um, weeks and months and years even. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was quite interesting because he suggested that Boeing has already announced the first delivery is in 2025. And then he said, I actually expect that they could improve on 2025. So, you know, Tim Clark on the one hand is saying he's worried that Boeing won't even meet 2025. His neighbor Akbar is saying, well, actually, you know, I reckon they might do it in 2024. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see the whether who, who on this each, either side is right, whether it's Akbar, Boeing, or Tim. Mm. Um, but there was another interesting question because I said, I said, right, so 2024, you might get a triple seven X, but who's going to take the first one? And he said, we will be the first recipient. We were the first launch customer of Emirates in the good old days. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, this Does isn't he the mean first... for the triple seven in that for the triple seven X? Yep. For the, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because um, it's not the first time he's kind of alluded to um, being the the first to take a triple seven X. But of course, um, we're in the situation where Boeing hasn't actually announced who the first one's going to go to. A lot of people were thinking Lufthansa. A lot of people are thinking um, Emirates. And uh, some people are even thinking A&A, from what I know, uh, Mm -hmm. along with Qatar Airways. And, um, you know, I think the sort of general consensus in the industry was that it would be Lufthansa followed by Emirates. But um, I can see it changing. And, you know, Speaking nicely about the program is certainly one way to win that in your favour, I would assume. But it, it is it is quite nice to see um, to see Albeca giving it the plane a bit of support because it's seen a hell of a lot of negativity from his neighbours, and um, I think it just kind of shows that some people are on Team Boeing. Um, mm. But moving on to my favourite plane on Team Airbus. Um, it's no surprise that he's not a fan of the A380. I know when uh, he was chatting with you a year ago, he said it was um, their biggest mistake. So mm. I kind of pulled him up on this. I said, you know, 
Do you still, and you know, they said they were reluctant to bring it back. So I said, do you still consider it your biggest mistake? And uh, he didn't even let me finish that. He was like, yes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) he was saying that he needs the volume and the capacity. So that's why they've brought the planes back. But as soon as they start getting deliveries of new aircraft, um, they're going to ground the A380s again. Right. so, you know, because I did sort of suggest, well, you know, you've been operating them for half a year now. Maybe it was reluctant, but maybe now you're operating them. You're feeling a bit different. And he was like, no, I still feel the same. Um, Sorry it about was quite, that, Tom. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, other airlines are keeping me going. But, you know, as soon as the 777X is launched and the A380 is phased out, I know where I can move my my love to. <laughs> um, but it was quite interesting because he suggested that there was even an issue um, – with getting spare parts for the free 80s these days because he he said that um you know they've commissioned eight to fly but they're only flying seven and they're just keeping one spare because there's a supply chain issue for spare parts because once airbus stopped producing them uh, he said there was no incentive to make spares um I mean, I guess I, I there's know. no new ones, but you'd think yeah. all those 12 Air France ones, or the 10 rather Air France ones that got retired and scrapped would be yeah. a, a, rare, a rare source for anything they want, really. Yeah, I guess it depends because, you know, I'm sure they're also competing against Emirates for those spares and BA maybe for those spares and mm. maybe even Lufthansa Technic. Um, who knows? But Airbus um, did say that they would always support the A380, even if they stopped making it. So, uh, be interesting of, to have a chat with them about what the situation is. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess a lot of uh, companies say a lot of things a lot of the time, but it doesn't always um, mean so much. Um, one thing that we do know that is um, actually in ink now uh, was that Qatar always post, uh, placed an order for some planes at Farnborough. So I thought you wanted to talk a little bit more about that with us, Joe. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I'll start at the top because... On the face of it, Boeing had a very good air show um, mm. and it was quite a different um, atmosphere, if you like, from how we saw Boeing in Dubai. Um, also, I must apologise if I sound a bit different. I seem to have left my voice in a field in Hampshire somewhere. So um, I'll croak away, though. Um, so Boeing kicked off the week with an order for 100 737 MAX 10s from Delta Airlines. Um, now, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, there were some questions over whether the plane would even continue to be pursued. Um, Um, But, you know, Boeing's really put that to bed, not only with that order, but also with several things executives were saying throughout the week. Um, Anna also placed an order for 2737 MAX. Actually, that was an older order, but it was previously an unidentified customer. So it's not entirely fresh, but it was certainly the first time we'd heard about it. Um, And then on day two, we had 777 partners, um, which you'll know are the powerhouses behind airlines like Flair in Canada and Bonza in Australia. Um, they placed an order for 30 of Tom's favourite 737 MAX, the MAX 200s, which are the super high-density ones designed for Ryanair. Um, and then, of course, Aircap ordered five more 7879s. So it was great to see some wide bodies actually on the order books as well. Um Aviation Capital Group placed orders for an additional 12 737 MAX 8s. And then, as you mentioned, Tom, Qatar Airways firmed up its order of 25 737 MAX 10s. Now, this isn't Mm. new news because it was actually announced way back in, I think it was January, um, when uh, the Emir was visiting Washington and actually went in and had a big signing ceremony with Boeing for that and the 777 freighter. Um, Mm. um, um, The order did lapse, if I'm correct, or the MOU did lapse. That's right. Um, It's very interesting, actually. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but it's all on Simple Flying if you want to read more. But the court case with Qatar and Airbus, um, Qatar was trying to claim that it had to order the 25 
737 Maxes in order to replace the A321s that Airbus cancelled as part of the A350 dispute. Um, but then Airbus actually pointed out that in the contract, that order had lapsed because they didn't firm it up within so many weeks of placing the, the mm. commitment back in January. Um, so yeah, it's firm now, which means that they will be getting Maxes, which is exciting for Qatar. I think it will look fantastic in that livery. Um, yeah. And there were also some other wide bodies, um, well, kind just- of. Go on. Can, I, can I stick on the max for a Go second? <laughs> so I reckon I reckon that Albeca drove quite a hard bargain on Boeing because, um, you know, originally there was whispers that this order was going to happen on Wednesday evening. And uh, you and I sat in the media centre for a while and mm-hmm. nothing happened. And then we were told to get to the media centre for 10 a.m., on on Thursday and um, we sat there for an hour in the end waiting for Albaca to show up so I guess um, you <laughs> know that last, yeah that last hour was um, serious negotiation <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but, uh, well I'm sure he got a bargain um, yeah you know it's a, it's a big swing to get you know a big airline like that committed to the max mm. so I think good for Boeing as well Um, But there were more wide bodies. Um, Azerbaijan Airlines signed a memorandum of understanding for four 7878s. Um, And Cargo Lux had a bit of a weird announcement when it said that it had selected the 7778 freighter, so the 777X-based freighter, as an eventual replacement for its 747-400s. But it didn't actually order any planes. It was just like, when we do order, we're not going Airbus. We're definitely sticking with Boeing, which was kind of a a bit of a weird one. Um, But, you know, good for Boeing. All in all, it gave the US plane maker 172 firm orders for the week, um, which just about doubled its year-to-date order total. So good news for them. Um, Airbus had a bit of a quieter show, to be honest. Uh, In Mm. fact, it had a very quiet show in terms of orders. So Delta topped up its A220 order book with 12 additional jets. EasyJet firmed up its order for 56 A320 Neos. That was another weird one because that was announced some weeks ago. So Um, basically, I think that wasn't really a Farnborough announcement, but more a right place at the right time because that just so happened to be the day that EasyJet shareholders um, had their meeting and they had a representative at the air show. They were like, yeah. We've we've agreed that they can purchase the jets. They said they were going to purchase several weeks yeah. ago. So yeah. yeah, not really a Farnborough order, but it was announced and you know kind of covered at Farnborough. Um, and then the the most exciting one I think was Latam ordering seventeen additional A three twenty one Neos, which includes mm. the A three twenty one XLR, which we're all super excited about. Um, so wrapping it all up, Airbus announced kind of orders for eighty five jets during Farnborough Air Show. Um, mm. But you know, taking the easy jet order out of that, it's really Really just a handful under 30 planes so hmm. you know you might and look then, at like, this you know we got back from the show and on monday morning condor announced it was going for the 320 exactly Neo. exactly i mean on the face of it it looks like boeing absolutely smoked airbus at the show hmm. um but you know the way you've got to look at it is how are they standing all together airbus already had 259 net firm orders in the first half of the year before it arrived at the air show um you know it had that big commitment from the Chinese airlines just a few weeks ago. If those are firmed up later in the year, it's going to put Airbus way ahead. Um, So overall, Boeing only has a very modest lead on a year-to-date basis. So it it maybe made a bit more noise at the show, 
Mm. Um, but overall, Airbus and Boeing are pretty much level pegging in terms of the year-to-date orders. Um, but I do have to mention that smaller plane makers also saw some orders because they never get talked about as much as Boeing and Airbus. But I do like the little planes. Um, <laughs> ATR got 36 planes ordered from an airline called Feel Air in Japan. And Elisa called Abello ordered 20. And there was a single plane order from ORC, which is Oriental Airbridge. A couple of airlines there I've never heard of. And also another single plane order from Afrojet. Um, hmm. Embraer had... Um, Embraer Alaska. was wild because I remember <laughs> they just thought, let's announce all of our orders within the space of five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> they, they had a very, very long and very intense presentation. So they called a press conference. 30 minutes was spent talking about Embraer and their commercial market outlook and various bits and pieces. And then all of a sudden they went, and we've got these orders, these orders and these commitments. And everybody was like, oh my God. <laughs> so um, what we drew out of it was that Alaska Airlines came in with an eight plane order for the E-175. Porter Airlines signed for 20 of the largest E-195E2s. And Astral Aviation, who is an African cargo airline, signed for two E-190 freighters, which makes it the launch customer for those. Um, Embraer also noted that it received almost 300 um, letters of intent, memorandums of understanding, kind of indications that somebody might buy the brand new turboprop. They didn't want to elaborate on who, when or where, <laughs> but they said, you know, there's certainly quite a bit of interest for it, which is good. Um, so just to put this in context, you know, it, it was good to see orders, but I feel it was quite a quiet year for Farnborough in comparison to the other air shows like pre-COVID. Um, so I had a quick look back and in 2018, orders and commitments at Farnborough totaled um, more than 1,400 planes. And this year it was just over 500. So, you know, 2018 was a record year. We've got to keep that yeah. in mind. Um, and you're still getting over the sort of whole COVID COVIDity. Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, considering what we've been through in the last mm. couple of years, it was a very positive show. Yeah. I think Paris will be the one to look forward to, um, but I'm not putting money on that because if I say that now, then it won't be some other <laughs> catastrophe will some happen. Monkey, Monkeypox or something yeah. will close us all down again, maybe. <laughs> what I found interesting was you just mentioned um, LATAM and the A321X. Um, mm. I had a little... Uh, chat with my my bestie over um, Air Baltic, Martin Gauss, who's the CEO there. Um, you know, we first actually met him at the Paris Air Show in 2019, which was our sort of first air show as a site. And um, you know, it was great to catch up with him three years later because um, you know we're a much bigger site now than back then. Um, and you know, he's lovely because he always has time to chat with us. So. Um, I even postponed his lunch to have a chat with me. So that kind of shows you. Um, but yeah, you know, I was having a chat with him and we actually talked um, about something bigger than the A220. And that's quite interesting because, you know, Air Baltic, the USP at the moment is, we're an all A220 airline. We've got the youngest fleet, blah, blah, blah. Um, Gauss actually suggested that uh, the airline could move away from being all 220. So he was talking to me about the 321 XLR. And, you know, there's been sort of chat about the, this airplane before. Um, but, you know, he was telling me that um, they're looking to go to or they're looking at the business case for North America. Um, so, you know, they haven't decided they're doing this, but they're looking to see if it would make sense because, um, you know, there's no one flying direct from the Baltics to the US. And he reckons that there's sufficient demand for nonstop flights that they could they could meet that. 
So, you know, I kind of questioned um, what plane you'd use for doing that because the 220 doesn't have the range and also a stretch 22500 wouldn't have the range. He told me that, um, you know, they're looking at the A321 XLR, um, but they're also looking at small wide bodies available to see their economics. And mm. um, it was quite interesting because I said, you know, like there's a long flight. Sometimes it's a night flight going to the US. Um Right now, the business class is sort of a very Euro business in the fact that it's the same seats, but um, middle seat is blocked out. Um, and he actually suggested, or I asked, would this be the time to introduce LifeLat on Air Baltic? And he was saying, yes, you know, um, if it was an, a seven hour plus flight, it would make sense to have the LifeLat. And they would actually look at the JetBlue style business class, which is the airspace product from Airbus. Mm. Um so this kind of sees at the front of the plane, you've got like um, one one uh, suite seating and at the back of the plane, you've got uh, your typical free free. And he was saying, you know, um, they're looking at that because they're very impressed with it and it's what the customers want. And they're always trying to do what the customers want and not what the airline wants. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, they've got to make it make sense from a business perspective. But if they can do that and please the customer, it's a win win. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that was that was quite a fun one. Um, we chatted about some other stuff as well, which I don't really want to talk about just yet because we haven't published it on the site. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, keep an eye out on Simple Flying for all of our Farnborough coverage because there is plenty more still to come. The show may be over, but our coverage is not. Mm, so much writing to do. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say, you know, if orders were a bit lacking at Farnborough, one thing that wasn't lacking was talk about sustainability. Oh, um, yeah. You couldn't move for suppliers, exhibitors, manufacturers, all mentioning the S word. Um, mm. I think it was John Ostroa who said uh, he was going to charge a quarter every time somebody mentioned sustainability and hope that he'd have enough to pay for his flight back to the States. But anyway, it's good because obviously this is the next big challenge facing aviation um, yeah. after COVID. Well, I mean, it's good that it's being, it's the focus, but I think, you know, is there's got to be a fine line drawn between like what is actually sustainability and what is people just trying to get their second in the sun you know mm, definitely well I think there were some interesting developments I've pulled out some of my favorites to talk about today um, so it was interesting that while Airbus wasn't holding press conferences so much on orders they were holding press conferences on sustainability which uh, you know some of those were really quite interesting maybe not the breaking news that we like when there's lots of planes ordered um, but one of the ones I really enjoyed listening to was the Blue Condor project which will see a glider fitted with a miniature hydrogen engine um, in order to take it up to altitude and test what actually comes out of the back of a hydrogen airplane engine um, and see what impact it's going to have on the environment because we don't know. We've never flown a, a hydrogen engine at 35,000 feet. So Airbus is going to do that with a glider and it's going to be tailed by another plane that's going to collect all the data from the particulate matter coming out the back and hopefully that will inform lots of um, efforts in the hydrogen sphere later. Okay, so question, it's a glider, so why does it have an engine and how does that all work? Okay, so it doesn't need the engine. The engine's not providing oh. propulsion. It's literally just running the engine at altitude to see what comes out of the other end. So it's not powered by hydrogen. It's going to be towed up there by a regular plane, you know, set at altitude and it's going to glide and it's going to um, 
have the engine, they're going to switch the engine on and see what it's producing in terms of pollution. So, hmm. um, kind I of guess first you need to make an engine, hydrogen engine that runs at 35,000 feet. Well, they reckon that this is all going to be done and dusted by the start of next year. So, obviously, there's there's plans. Yeah, you know, like I was chatting with uh, visited Rolls-Royce before the show and they are looking to uh, run some engines on the ground on hydrogen just to show it can be done. So, mm. In the end of the day, it's a miniaturised engine. It doesn't have to provide propulsion it literally just has to combust hydrogen at altitude. So it doesn't even have to be like a proper engine. It's literally just a, a hydrogen combustion chamber. So, um, but yeah, hopefully we'll have some results back on that by the start of next year. Um, but it also announced that it had ordered 400,000 tonnes of CO2 direct air capture. Um, this is really interesting technology. Um, the company that's performing it is 1.5. And the pre-order is in cooperation with a bunch of really big airlines, Air Canada, Air France, KLM, EasyJet, IAG, LATAM, Lufthansa, Virgin Atlantic. So what they're doing is they're taking a million tons of CO2 out of the air, um, capturing it at a site in Texas, and then permanently storing it in old oil wells. How they do that? Don't ask me. <laughs> but um, it sounds very Magic. interesting. And uh, yeah, really excited to see what it actually means. Um, yeah, so I think, um, you know, I was sat in the presentation. Um, so I should be able to talk about it, but, you know, it wasn't the most thrilling stuff, I must say, for me. Um, but I think the idea is that they, they, they capture the carbon from the atmosphere through um, some process that is already, it's not a new thing. You know, they're trying no, to, other companies are trying to make fuel. been around for a while, but it's not been very well funded. And I think that's the big thing is that having all these big players on board to fund that um, ramp up in technology is going to be a big deal. Yeah. And then um, they just pump that down into these empty spaces in the earth. And there were a lot of questions on that, which I thought were quite, I thought the questions were quite interesting, you know, like what makes sure that some sort of carbon terrorist doesn't release all the carbon back out into the atmosphere and all of this. <laughs> and, you know, I was just wondering who actually owns this hole in the ground, really. But um, it's fascinating. That, that bit, that side is fascinating, mm. I think. Definitely. Um, also on the Airbus side of the announcements, um, Airbus and CFM announced their collaboration to flight test this open fan engine architecture on the A380 testbed. Um, so the A380 testbed is going to be super busy because it's also testing the um, hydrogen propulsion technologies. Here's an interesting thing because I was having a chat about this with somebody else, and um, you know I haven't done the the, the digging myself, but um, I think it might have been Timo over at uh, Aero Telegraph, our good friend there was uh, telling me that it's two separate aircraft, two separate A380s that are okay. being used. Um, but, you know, I need to, or it might have been our friend Richard at Air Insight. I don't know. There's so many, so many of our journalist friends were there last week. Um, but, um, you know, somebody was suggesting it's two separate aircraft. So, um, okay. Need to do some digging there. Right been too here. busy. I've been too busy for the A380. That just shows you how busy last week was. Mm, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they'll be testing this open fan engine architecture, which is, like it says, it's a, an engine with um, no cowling around the fan. It kind of looks terrifying and something that would chop your head off quite easily, but it could potentially reduce CO2 upwards of 20%. Um, on the Boeing side, the Airframer unveiled this tool called Cascade. This is a data modelling tool, um, which it created in cooperation with a bunch of universities, and it appraises the potential for different technologies and actions to reduce CO2 emissions emissions through four key pillars, as they call it, which is number one, airplane fleet renewal. Um, number two, renewable 
energy sources such as sustainable fuel, hydrogen, electric propulsion. Number three, operational efficiency improvements. And number four, other advanced technologies. So it doesn't actually save any CO2, but it could be useful for planning. I guess if airlines are looking for ways to get to their net zero by 50, they can see where the kind of investments would be best placed. Um, It's not ready for public consumption yet. They're still testing it. But hopefully when they do release it, Simple Flying will get our hands on it and be able to have a tinker and um, see what it can tell us. Um, As well as that, Boeing and Alder Fuels announced a new partnership to expand global production of SAF. Um, EasyJet and Rolls-Royce partnered up to develop hydrogen combustion engine technology with the H20 scheme. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's quite interesting because I kind of was under the impression that Rolls-Royce, you know, already announced that um, at the start of the show and EasyJet, the announcement was just EasyJet putting their name on it was my, mm. my take on that. Yeah, I think they did. I mean, I guess they told you about it at the media days mm. before yeah. the before the event anyway. Yeah. So um, Yeah, that was one of the big things um, that we were sworn to secrecy about until the start <laughs> of the show. So. But it's good to see EasyJet doing that because they've always been a very progressive airline. You know, even for a low-cost carrier, they're always keen to develop new technologies and, and support companies that are doing that sort of thing. But I do have to mention that aside of the kind of standard airline sustainability bits and pieces there was a bunch of really new cutting-edge technology that it it perplexes me a little bit um for example the ev tolls um this is something that simple flying has to date kind of avoided a little bit because i'm, I'm not sure we were entirely convinced they'd ever take off but there's so much going on in that space I'm now i'm still not convinced they'll take off <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot going on in the space now though and you know it was a big big focus at the show for example embraer's eve unveiled their cabin mock-up which looks really cool um vertical aerospace had a full-size prototype of the vx4 on display and it was jaw-dropping. I mean, seriously, a very sexy-looking plane. Um, Whisk, um, Boeing's investment, and Lilium, they had a strong presence as well. So, you know, there was very much a focus on EV tolls and future um, air mobility. Um, There was disruptive propulsion as well, and I enjoyed the briefing with Collins, um, who was finishing their prototype for the electronic motor for the Hav Airlander there, um, the flying buttocks, as we like to call it around here. Um, As you like to call it. As I like to call it. I'm trying to get it to catch on but uh, mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah it, overall it was yeah a, a sustainability focused show but I think as Tom said you know we need to see some of these ideas and theories and investments actually translating into actual carbon reduction and if you were at Farnborough last week or anywhere in the UK I think we were painfully aware of the impact of climate change because it was like 36 degrees at the show and it felt more <laughs> like being in Dubai so yeah, anyway well, you know it's funny you, because <laughs> <laughs> Just on that point, you know, I had um, had this whole, oh, make sure you're drinking water from um, my family and that. And, you know, I... I actually think just being at home in Germany in the normal summer is worse than a hot day in England. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm probably a minority there. And I did just want to wrap up by talking about a really interesting session that I sat in on the first day of the show. And that was um, the... Um, the it was the airline leader conference, I believe it was called, and it was a chat between uh, Willie Walsh, who you know, former BAC, uh, former Erlinga CEO, former BAC CEO, former IAG CEO, now the Director General of IATA, and Tim Clark, who everyone knows is the CEO or the Chairman, I think, of um, Emirates and President. President, that's the one I was looking for. Um, and it was quite interesting because you know, this was, I think, a 
a couple of days after Heathrow had announced its whole um, its whole capacity drama, and you know Emirates had said, "Well, screw that, we're going to do what we want to do." Um, and obviously, this was a hot topic. So, <laughs> you know, there was some incredibly, incredibly colourful language used um, talking about Heathrow in this chat. You know, uh, Willie Walsh straight up called uh, the Heathrow directors a bunch of idiots, um, and um, Tim Clark was suggesting that it's just ridiculous um, that this is the problem because the problem, I've, the, from my understanding, the problem that Heathrow has is to do with um, ground handling. Uh, staff shortage, which has led to people being delayed. So they're saying, you know, we can only handle this many pe- uh, passengers, so don't bring more than this. Um, and Emirates was basically saying, you know, we have our own in-house ground handling solution, Dinata, um, at Heathrow. So, you know, we are able to manage our our stuff. Why can't we run our full schedule? Um, which it was quite an interesting thing, and um, you know, I, I think it was Walsh was basically saying that um, Heathrow had been um, suggesting false data to the CAA. He said, "In my belief, Heathrow was gaming the CAA in relation to the economic regulation which was going through, trying to downplay the pace of recovery, um, and convince that Heathrow was going to lag the the world in terms of recovering passenger numbers when everyone was saying the opposite." So. Um, you know, I think it was quite an interesting chat. Um, I need to dig through it more now that we've done to see what more was said because we weren't just talking about the the Heathrow stuff, but it was just, you know, somebody as powerful as uh, the IATA Director General calling somebody a an idiot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even, like, clouded. The word was a bunch of idiots. Well, he's um, Irish, isn't he? They don't mince their words. Um, I do like Walsh. I think he's a, a worthy replacement. I was very nervous when he um, replaced the old director of IATA because I had a, a very soft spot for that chap. But, uh, you know, Walsh has been a really awesome replacement. He says it like it is. You know, he can't be constrained by policies or, or um, you know, how it looks. He says what he thinks. And that's exactly what a, an organisation like IATA needs is someone with a strong voice to really say what needs to be said. Um, so mm. I'm pleased he called them idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that. And um, I think that's about all we've got time for today. I think so. Um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, we're very sorry that there wasn't one last week, but we absolutely promise that going forward, we will be a weekly fixture in your calendar. So um, as usual, please do send any feedback to podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.